This morning, we continue our sermon series about what it means to be exiles in this world. We live as believers in both the spiritual and cultural exile, following our Lord through a, our Lord through a world that seems more often broken than whole, more often lost than found. And so what we find in Scripture is that Jesus teaches us uh, how not just to survive in this kind of a world, but how to flourish. And today we're looking at both Psalm 126, which we just heard, and Acts 13, to recognize the importance of remembering as we live in this world as exiles. And we read in Acts 13, verse, verses 42 to 52, this. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Unless I head into the grocery store with a list, I will inevitably forget to bring home something important. Uh, how many of y'all do this? A lot. A lot of the men folk, I notice. Yeah, and some ladies. Recently, I, I visited the grocery store three times within 36 hours for things I'd forgotten to pick up. <laughs> On the third visit, the cashier recognized me. Uh, she welcomed me back, back by name. And In our family, we always tend to forget something, though. Part of this is just having small kids, especially when we're trying to get somewhere on time. Uh, earlier this year, we were trying to head across town for some kind of holiday event, and one of the girls mentioned that she'd forgotten her coat. And so after a quick detour back home, we, I realized that I'd forgotten to fill up uh, gas. When we arrived, finally, at my family's house, Katie asked if I'd grabbed uh, Sam's booster seat. And I had not. Uh, so an hour later, I was eating dinner with a two-year-old on my lap, which takes parenting skills I've yet to master. It is not easy to feed a little one who is trying to escape and grab whatever food's on your plate. It's just not easy. But sadly, this tendency to forget isn't just something parents with small children experience. It's something that we all experience because humanity has always been a forgetful people. 
We are always, we have always been a forgetful people. Forgetting ingredients or diapers can be inconvenient, but forgetting the spiritual realities of who we are, forgetting our identity as children of God who have each been called for a particular purpose is much more hazardous. The power of sin operating within us has an uncanny ability to shift our focus away from core spiritual truths about our God and ourselves, the world, and our place in it. But as we forget, faith becomes not just an, it becomes not an invitation to the new and abundant life of the kingdom, but an impossible standard that drains our journey through this life of hope. Eventually, the joy we originally found in a relationship with God slips from our grasp, slowing our spiritual growth to a halt, preventing us from becoming the people our God calls us to be. We have a tendency to forget the foundational truths of this world. We have a tendency to forget who we really are, that we are children, uh, that we are beloved children of a God who desires to grow us and transform us into people like Jesus. But this failing to remember what God has done for us and continues to do in us isn't just a modern struggle. The Israelites returning home from exile faced a similar risk when they, the joy they felt from their return home began to fade. Psalm 126, uh, likely written by the prophet Ezra, as Nehemiah rebuilt the city of Jerusalem, uses a common poetic device to help the people remember their joy. Using a series of contrasts, Ezra hopes to remind the people their joy flowed from the actions of a loving God who desired only the best for their children. He does this in three ways. First, he reminds them that when they initially arrived home, after they uh, had returned home from exile, they were free people who laughed and dreamed. During exile, enslaved in a foreign land, they had no reason to laugh in the present, much less dream about their future. Their homeland had been destroyed, and the temple, the center of their faith, had fallen to ruin. But then the Lord stepped in and restored everything. The unexpected grace of God had moved into their world, allowing them freedom to return home, to actually travel back to the, uh, to the homeland of their ancestors, to go back to Israel. From slavery to freedom, their lives have been completely transformed and their joy could not be contained. When God first moved into their lives in this way, they, they, uh, what, what was it? They were people who laughed and dreamed. They experienced the goodness of God and they were overcome with joy. Second, their restoration was so great, it compelled those outside of Israel to proclaim the greatness of their God. John Calvin writes that the prophet declares that this miracle was seen even by those outside the promise. God's power and operation were so conspicuous, in other words, so noticeable in this event that they burst forth into the open acknowledgement that God had done great things for his people. Finally, Ezra compares their restoration with rivers breaking forth in the middle of the desert and farmers returning with a harvest the very same day that they go out to plant. 
far from the normal operations of nature, these events pointed to the supernatural hand that restored the people of Israel. God moved into their lives and did something wonderful. And when they remembered that, they were filled with joy. Joy dominated their life. Through God's movement in their world, his children had been delivered into new life. The joy they felt reminded them of who they were, that they were his children. It served as an open window into God's kingdom through which they understood that God had their best interests at heart, that he had not forgotten them. Ezra wanted the people to remember the source of their ultimate joy had a name and desired a relationship with them. But despite this moment of profound grace, the people of Israel still slowly forgot what the Lord had done for them. Though they tried to remain, uh, 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 maintain their faith, joy eventually faded from their hearts. Faced with tangible obstacles of, of reestablishing the promised land and the daily frustrations of rebuilding their cities and their culture and their faith, the Israelites failed to remember God's faithfulness and they lost their joy. The laughter that echoed through the hills and valleys slid from the present into the past. Like their ancestors before them, they slowly forgot what the Lord had done for them, and they slowly focused more and more on other lesser things. Their joy, even though it was present in the moment, couldn't be caught and nailed down. So once the moment passed, their hearts wandered and began to disregard God's presence. Israel's entire history follows this same pattern. In the days after Moses led the people out of slavery, the people forgot about God's deliverance and worried they'd been brought into the wilderness to die. Yes, they'd been slaves, but at least back in Egypt, they had food and shelter. Things weren't so bad, were they? They were forgetting a lot in that moment. In the desert, they had nothing but God's promises. Faced with an uncertain future, they sought security in idols of their own making. And this pattern of, of forgetting, even though God is doing something amazing, continues for centuries. God moves into their lives to save his people, and his people all too quickly forget. And as a pattern. That is why throughout Scripture, the Lord instructs his people to remember this is why the Psalms are full of uh, poetry. David wrote the Psalms, and almost, uh, in almost all of them, or at least a great many of them, he talks about remembering what God had done for them. He calls the people to not forget what God had done for them in the Exodus, how he had been faithful to them throughout the time of Joshua and the judges and how he's faithful still. In Deuteronomy 4, 9, the Lord tells his people to take care, to keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart. David encourages the people a generation later in Psalm 103, to praise the Lord and forget not his benefits, who forgives your sins and heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires 
with good things so your youth is renewed like the eagles. Remembering what God had done, remembering what God has done, is vital to survival in a broken world because forgetting is fatal. Suffering from spiritual amnesia, the people of Israel embodied what Job 8 warns against, such as the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. What they trust in is fragile. What they rely on is a spider's web. They lean on the web, but it gives way. They cling to it, but it does not hold. The people of Israel experienced clear moments of salvation, but they could never hold on to them. They forgot the goodness of their God, and so they lost their joy. We suffer from the same tendency. We do this. We allow our circumstances rather than God's faithfulness to define our happiness. We allow suffering to define our present and despair to color our future. We let anxiety dictate our posture to the world and other people. We get caught up in the cultural struggles around us, failing to remember that we already have victory in Jesus and that he enables us to overcome evil with good. We forget how the Lord has loved us in moments of triumph and tragedy. So our joy becomes a distant memory rather than a present source of strength. We forget his promises and are filled not with joy, but anxiety and fear and worry. But thanks be to God, our Lord understands our weakness. The joy the Israelites felt upon their home return home was profound, but temporary. God addresses our forgetfulness by sending a Savior, His own Son, to become a permanent reminder of grace for His children. In Jesus, our Lord establishes an eternal connection to his kingdom and our souls. Through the Holy Spirit, we are given not just a memory of what God has done for us in the past, but an ever-present reminder that our God loves us beyond our wildest dreams. In Jesus, our God plants his presence within us, giving us an abiding joy that can never be dislodged, by our circumstances, or removed by even the worst kind of suffering. In Jesus, we are tethered to a living hope. We are tied. We are united. We celebrate uh, communion for this very reason, to remember. To remember how our God unites his life to ours, how he unites his blessings to us. How we are never apart from his presence, how he never lets us go. The cord of God's grace wrapped around our soul doesn't just remind us of the past. It doesn't even just promise us future reward. It, uh, the grace we find in God provides present blessing, ongoing guidance, and active restoration here and now. We see this joy in action throughout the New Testament, but especially when the gospel is proclaimed amidst great persecution. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are traveling on their first 
missionary journey tasked with proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus in this order. First to the Jewish people and then to those outside the Jewish faith known as Gentiles. When they proclaimed the message of salvation to these groups in Antioch, people responded with both great faith and also great outrage. After their first sermon, both Jews and Gentiles begged them to return and share this message on the next Sabbath. So they heard the message and they said, please come back. We want to hear it again. Paul and Barnabas returned to the temple later that week and found that the entire city had come to hear the word of the Lord. After hearing this message again, so many came to faith that the good news began to spread throughout the entire region. Now, this startled the Jewish leaders because it meant that individuals had begun to share the gospel outside the city walls without hearing the disciples at all. That meant the people that heard Paul and Barnabas went back to their lives and were sharing the good news of what God had done in Jesus with other people. So the message was spreading beyond just what Paul and Barnabas were doing. Seized with jealousy, the Jewish leaders opposed Paul and Barnabas uh, in three distinct ways. First, they used the authority granted to them by the temple to condemn uh, them and their message. Now, being being Jewish, both Paul and Barnabas were Jewish, this condemnation officially turned Paul and Barnabas into outsiders. Their Jewish friends were uh, obligated to ignore both the gospel and anyone who proclaimed it. Second, when Paul proclaimed that the gospel was for both Jews and Gentiles, the leadership incited uh, devout women of high standing and leading men of the city to use their social influence to stir up unrest and proclaim their anger against them. Paul and Barnabas, uh, after the second message, faced the social wrath of their own community in Antioch. Finally, the leadership stirred up actual persecution, so they had to leave the city that same day. All of these actions, every step that the Jewish leaders took, uh, could have distracted the disciples and led them to forget the reality of their salvation and the promises of Jesus to be with them through the Holy Spirit. The persecution that Paul and Barnabas likely experienced was not uh, insignificant. It would have been difficult for them. And yet, despite these repercussions, the disciples were still filled with joy. An ocean of trouble surrounded them almost everywhere they went in the book of Acts, but their joy always remained intact. Despite the harm they experienced, their hearts overflowed with joy, with goodness. John Calvin wrote that they were filled with joy because the grace of the Holy Spirit was ruling within them. And this alone makes us so genuinely and thoroughly joyous that we are exalted above the whole world. Thus, there is no doubt that if our faith is properly grounded on God and strikes its roots deep And his word, and finally, if it is made thoroughly secure by the protection of the Spirit, it will foster peace and spiritual joy forever, even if the whole world is in an uproar. I want you to see what happens here. 
the disciples were joyful because they had not forgotten what had been done for them in Jesus. The disciples in the books of Acts were willing to risk all things, even their lives, because they believed that nothing could separate them from their Savior. The joy that God gives us in Jesus, sealed by the presence and power of the Spirit, is not a fleeting reminder, but a permanent fixture of grace in the deepest part of our souls. Paul later writes in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. The joy found in remembering that we belong to Jesus outlasts our shifting moods and endures even the most dramatic change in our circumstances. We walk through this world as exiles, but we carry joy with us because in Jesus we know that our God loves us and will never Ever let us go. Martin Luther says it like this. He says, Christ rescued us from the jaws of death. Therefore, we need not fear sin and can overcome the devil. We can find a mercy with God and be his dear brothers who need never fear anything, anywhere. Friends, when we look to Jesus, we discover the source of our joy that no matter how often we forget, our Lord will always remember us. Knowing what our God has done for us in our salvation, what he continues to do for us in our transformation into children of his kingdom fills our hearts with a joy that can never, ever be moved. Although our hearts are forgetful, We find in Jesus a joy that can be remembered in our worst moments, shining through the darkness more clearly than the star at his birth and more brightly than the sun on a summer's day. And Jesus, we don't simply carry joy within us. We find a joy that carries us through every moment of this life and in the end will carry us home. Remember the grace of God. Do not forget. Alleluia. Amen.